There he is. What's happening? Okay, so I'm not super happy about the uh, acoustics here, but do do I sound okay? Yeah, you sound great. <laughs> right, cool. Nick Anthony is a writer and screenwriter and former stand-up comedian. We met a year and a half ago at the Prague Summer Writers Program, where Nick was workshopping his first novel entitled Two Hits of Acid in Cambodia. I interviewed him at the time about the workshopping process and wanted to follow up with him to see where he's at now with his novel and what he's been doing to make it move along towards being published. Welcome once again to the Bibliophile. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to uh, to catch back up here, Nigel. Now, you mentioned to me that you've been experimenting with AI. Could you give me your best take on what generative AI is all about as it pertains to a novelist? Well, we're all sitting in this you know, speculative time where all of these big tech giants are saying all these things about the future. And the problem is, is that no one knows anything about what the future, like no one is prescient. So we can't, you know, know what's going to happen. And so, you know, it, it goes back to that debate of like what happened with, with chess, for instance, where there were right. people convinced that even in, I think the seventies, that there was no way that a computer would ever beat a human. And then of course it did because it's, it's mathematical, you know, at some point there is an equation for chess specifically. The thing about writing is that it's different than math, obviously mathematical. I believe it was Chomsky, Noam Chomsky's article in the New York Times, where he called it something to the effect of like the most sophisticated plagiarism machine ever created. And he went into deep details about how he felt that it was actually a theft of intellectual property. Because what they're essentially doing is these machines are, it's not that they're thinking, it's that they're uh, replicating and that they have the ability to process incredibly quickly. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there's an intelligence there. It means that there's a lot of processing power. Elon Musk famously said, or I don't know about famously, but he recently said that within like a couple of years, AI would be able to write a book as good as Harry Potter. When he said that, I, you know, I kind of just ingested it as like, yeah, that does seem likely because a book like Harry Potter, Potter does uh, rely on uh, a lot of like classic myths. And it's not that Harry Potter isn't uh, original. It's obviously original, but it's also it it draws on things in a way that like I could at least wrap my head around. Uh, a computer, maybe not in the next two years, but in the next 20 years, writing something like Harry Potter. I, do I ever think that there would be a time when, when AI writes Ulysses? I, I don't think so. I, I'm not trying to be some like, you know, contrarian or something or some Luddite, but it, it's just, it doesn't seem likely to me that computers as we see them right now and what they are calling AI, I, I think it's computing power is incredibly strong. I think mm. for certain types of writing, it, you know, copywriting maybe, or just, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't proper, I mean, including myself, 
I wasn't properly educated, you know, through public school until I decided to take classes and, and educate myself. But most people don't even fully understand like the power of the sentence and how simple it can be. And AI knows how to do that in spades. So, I mean, does that answer your question? Well, let's pick up on that copyright because I know a number of the publishing associations have raised this as a, a red flag and a, a concern. I guess the question is if these machines are scooping up all sorts of texts and feeding them into their system, how do you separate copyright from that? You know, as I guess the question is if they're putting a whole bunch of different novels, let's say, into the system and getting different permutations of them and spitting them out. How do you determine who gets paid what? Yeah, well, they figured it out. There's such complicated things figured out. There's the, the way they do music and the way that they pay people on YouTube and how does a cell phone work? I don't know, but they could figure it out. They connect micro data to photographs. They connect mm -hmm. all sorts of things. They can embed uh, anytime this collection of language gets, you know, used, you have a hashtag that's connected in there that then goes back to an author. And if someone's using it, it's just like in on YouTube. If I use a Beatles song, something no, gets flooded. Nick, but the point is that they might be taking three or four words from one book. And adding it to three or four words from another book. So how do you parse that? This is where I, I think that it, you know, Chomsky has like a, a legitimate point. You can't copyright an idea. You can only copyright the expression of the idea. And so if the expression of the idea is too similar, this happens in music all the time with riffs and, yeah. you know, they have laws. It's just a matter yeah. of, do they want to go in there and do the heavy lifting? These look, these people who figured this out, they figured it out because there was a ton of money. I remember even in like the 2010, 11, 12, 13, people were like, how are people going to make money off of YouTube? Uh, surprise. It was ads, uh, you know, like they figured it out and the same can be true. Once people realize how much money is being lost or, or people, corporations realize how much money they can make. They're going yeah. to figure it out. Okay. So what exactly have you as a novelist been doing with AI? Well, I'm, I'm at this fun time as uh, a first time novelist where I've been very humbled by the experience. I, I was a, a screenwriter and I, I went through the process of getting a degree, which isn't necessary, but I really, when I get into something, I like to get real deep into it. And I, I want to feel like I, I have an authority about it before I ever, you know, really attempt to do it professionally or, and the same was true with novel writing. I, I really started at the beginning and, and, and took beginner's mind with it and went back and just started reading everything from, you know, famous writers who are writing about writing to taking classes to, you know, really trying to get a lot of great novels, you know, past, uh, you know, just having read them and, you know, really took on the, the role of, of student. You know, I love John Gardner's book on becoming a novelist. You know, there's a lot of them that just get you really stoked and excited. And I was reading different, uh, style manuals, drunk and white, 
Um, yeah. You know, that, that's the famous one. But there's other ones, too, that are interesting. You start to really, you know, learn how prose works because the the prose of, of novel writing and screenwriting, the major difference, and this is really what it comes down to, is screenplays are written in present tense, third person, but everything's happening in the moment. You know, everything is visual and it's in the moment. With prose writing, you have summary. You know, in, in, in screenplays, you have scenes. It's all scenes. So mm -hmm. everything is a scene. But in novel writing, you have summary. And a summary can be, you know, one word. It can be one sentence. It can be, you can, you can come out of, uh, being in a scene and then the rest of the book could be in summary. Mm -hmm. And that's really the art form and the difference between screenwriting and novel writing is like, just understanding your taste when it comes to what is in scene and what is in summary. And that affected how I started reading things. And it started affecting how I was watching films too, because I would, I would watch something, you know, that was based on a novel that the novel had a lot of summary in it, but now they had to make choices to make it visual. Just that alone really like allowed me to kind of really start to digest what the novel really was. The other big thing besides the scene versus summary thing is, is perspective, you know, cause the big thing, you know, I learned a lot about screenwriting, but I was trying to like, I really wanted to like kind of cross train myself as a storyteller by really diving into uh perspective, because in novel writing, you can actually choose like, as opposed to with screenwriting, you're stuck in present tense and you're stuck in first person. Now, obviously, who has the authority in a, in a screenplay to tell the story is still subjective and you could have it be from the perspective of the sun or from the person's shoe, you know, and how you write that could be informed in that. Uh, you have more choices in, in novel writing. You could do first person, you could do third person, you could all the different versions of third person, you could do second person. So, Nick, how did the AI help you or hinder you in this? Well, this is what I was kind of getting to is I'm writing a travel log that I wanted to feel like as you were reading it, it felt like you were on the trip. Like I've, mm -hmm. I've never read a story that feels like what it feels like when I travel, but I've just never had something where I'm like, ah, this feels like what it's like when I, when I travel. So, you know, I'm writing something that I think is unique and new and uh, at least next, even if it has some evergreen themes and, and maybe it's not as new as I might think it is. I was putting, cause you can't put the whole book in like chat GPT or something, but I was putting in excerpts from the novel and asking the, the AI prompts, like different questions. Like what is, can you please summarize what's happening in this chapter? And then it would give me like, you know, a good I don't know, 500 to a thousand words in 20 seconds about what happened in that chapter. I would go deeper. I would say things like, well, what are the themes in this chapter? How did the summary help you, Nick? It gave me a sense that the writing now I'm further into the process. I haven't put like early draft stuff into this. This work has been polished. And so it did leave me with a sense that what I'm writing is like, it, it, and again, this is just my experience. It left me with an experience that I felt like the writing was in a really good shape. Like the, mm -hmm. the language I was getting back from the AI was like, it was describing even the subtle like changes in 
in the chapter and like, you know, that that would have, I mean, it really hit all of the plot elements. It's a good reader feedback. Is that it? It's a reader who's paying attention and who is digesting all of it. And I don't know if you can say that it has taste, but it, it can recognize the, just the larger forms. Mm-hmm. How did that help you? This process of being in, in, of the writing the novel, this feels like the, you know, as, you know, maybe Joseph Campbell would call it the dark night of the, or the, the, the dark part of the soul or the, 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 the break before the dawn. I'm just about to submit to agents. I'm just, you know, doing my final edits. And so it's been a culmination of so much work. And, and my brain is about to go from the creative, like purely allowing myself to just play and, and, and be a craftsperson and study and, and really have it just be about the work. And, and I'm about to go into the, can this actually exist in a market somewhere hat? And so it, it's, it's going to change now. And it's scary. It's scary. I mean, we'll see what happens. I have no idea if I find an agent. I have no idea if I, I have no idea what's going to happen moving forward. I think I've written something that's incredibly marketable and that I, I, I literally pulled out of my guts. And, you know, for me, I, I just wanted to write something that, you know, I'm 41 right now. When I'm 61, I want to be able to read what I've written and be proud of it. Like to really say I did it. Like you did it. You, you hit the pitch, man. You know, I would say that I am writing something that I myself would want to read. I'm trying to scratch my own itch. But getting back to the AI, that, that summary, what did that do for you? Anything? It did gave it me a, because, you know, being at a time when, you know, there's so much subjectivity to all this stuff. And if, you know, a novel is so long that if, even if you give somebody half of it and they're just like, you, you get this sense that they don't maybe fully understand what you're going for or the notes they're giving you are, it's like early on, everyone was so, I don't know if it's like people can get a sense now that, that I'm like close to the end, but it does feel like the way people give me notes now are way more critical than when I was just like first starting out. And I don't know if that's because of the way I ask them for notes, but I feel like I just feel a little bit lost in subjectivity because there are so many novels that if you were to hand them to somebody, just any random person, you, you would get so many different responses. The thing that's nice about the AI is that it's, in theory, it's objective. I guess why I'm kind of interested in doing it is like, it's kind of, you know, if I do it now and I get a sense of it, as I continue as a writer, I'll be able to kind of learn or I'll be able to rely on like, all right, this is what I know I can get from AI. If I'm, if I'm writing something and I'm at a certain part in the process, I can throw it in there and just see like, is this making sense? You know, are there thematic issues? Are there transition issues? What kind of help can it give you? Do you think? I think it's pretty broad. You know, I put a chapter in and then it said, I I specifically asked, how could the writing be stronger? And it brought up, you know, a, a pretty detailed, you know, it's probably like 500 words. And it just starts listing one show, don't tell, and then gives you like three different sentences why you shouldn't show or, or tell. 
Two, dialogue and and interaction. Three, character development. Four, pacing. Five, symbolism. You can get that from any textbook. It's not saying you need more of this or less of this or like it's giving you a long list of fairly generic advice. Correct. But what's interesting is when, when I asked what the theme say, I think it really comes down to there's an art form to how you prompt this. Yeah. Because I was also playing around with it where I was like, I, I went to New York and I, I did all these different things and I wanted to write a blog post about like, Hey, I went to the opera in New York and I went to this jazz show and I went to this other show with the idea of like, so you don't have to. And here's what New York's like. And I wanted to talk about like, New York being Disneyland for intellectuals, but I really didn't have the time or the motivation to really just write that blog post. So just as kind of a a test to myself, I just put like, write me a funny review of New York City from the perspective of somebody who had seen this, 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 and this, and blah, blah, blah. And it kicked me back like a pretty good blog post. The name I'm using for my novel, I'm going to use my real last name as my nom de plume is so i'm just going to use my initials na vorderbruggen putting you together things. your real name as your nom de plume <laughs> yeah exactly uh but i was just like i'm going to put up some text and just call it ai vorderbruggen and yeah. the idea is that i'm prompting it and then maybe changing a couple things here and there but it's these it's these different articles that i'm kind of co-authoring with ai if you will yeah it's interesting that chat gpt i don't know how they word it but they request that you credit them on anything <laughs> they've got to that the goal of these guys yeah stealing all of this information from culture and then <laughs> reporting it as their own wow in that new york times article noam chomsky said that it's the biggest theft since like colonialism the idea that the number of things that it's it's relying on for its information. Kind of ironic, isn't it, that you, you, the author, are kind of stealing the work that they're doing. They're stealing a lot of them. It, it's everyone stealing from each other. Yeah, well, that's always been the case. And I guess the thing that we just need to be kind of, um, I don't know, honest about is, is that that's actually what is happening. And it's not just some magical box that's actually thinking like how a human thinks right so it's you know it's, from what you've told me it seems like ai is good for editing there's up to a certain level yeah it would be good at summarizing and it would be good at reading a bunch of like a slush pile as an author how do you feel that you submit your hard wrought novel to a big publishing house and they get ai to decide whether or not it goes forward i i don't think we're close to that yet i i I don't think there's any reasonable argument i don't think we're close i don't want to sound naive but i just think when it comes to specifically writing books with long form stories you get a sense over time that what is being kicked back to you is there there's some lack of humanity to it yeah but as we know it's only going to get better i guess the the question in speaking of lack of humanity is i can see a machine going through these slush piles 
and deciding the future of hu- these human beings who put their guts into their work. But it would be screened by a machine first. Yeah, we we have this weird ability to, you know, personify things. And we, we find it quite fascinating. It's why we love even like, you know, Pixar movies where it's, you know, it's cars. Well, why is the, why are the cars interesting? Because the cars are essentially like humans. And so I think on some level we do that with AI thinking like, oh, it's going to think like how humans think. For instance, when I put in the, on that same chapter that I put in, that I asked it to summarize it, I then said, what are the themes? In this, it specifically, as opposed to being vague, you know, it, it started to list not only my specific themes, but how they're related to the characters. You know, there's conflict uh, and reflection. The internal conflict within the protagonist, particularly regarding the relationship with Michael, is a central theme. The character delves into introspection and the protagonist reflecting on personal weaknesses, the need for tolerance, and the potential growth through solitude. That that's is good, isn't it? Yeah, that's more dynamic than just like some vague generality. I can still see the vagueness in it, I guess. Like when I look between the lines. And I think you have to be careful. But again, it's a tool. And as long as you recognize that it's a, it's the tool, don't let the, the, the tail wag the dog, I guess. Yeah. I was impressed with those, the way that it pulled out those themes. Now, again, how would you use that? Would you, you'd read through those descriptions of the themes. How would you take that and that, that feedback? What's and happening it, right now is I am not happy with the ending. It took me so long to write the piece that I was reading a lot of novels. And so my idea of what I thought the ending was going to be was heavily influenced by a bunch of stuff I was reading by Carl Jung. And I went down a little bit of a, a, a rabbit hole and wrote this like the character needs to, you know, address their shadow and blah, blah, blah. And I was doing all this like inner child work and, and it's just not what the story needed. I just, because it had been so long, I just went down some of these. I, I got distracted. Okay. And I've had enough human readers to say, like, the consistency is like, I love this, Nick. It's good writing. It's just not working for this story. Like, you you basically just started a whole nother novel in the last chapter of your of your book. And so what I'm doing now is I'm going through from the beginning and I'm editing. And then every time I take a big chunk, I'll say, what are the themes in this? And it allows me to kind of see the through line so that when I do get to the end of the story, I'm able to kind of look back and be like, all right, these are the themes that potentially were resonating. Does that help inform me now what the ending could be? Again, it's just data. It's just tools. I'm still then digesting it and making my own creative choice. This, again, it sounds like what an editor would do. An editor would... Pick those things out and say to you, listen, you need to, you need to stay on message with these themes and mm-hmm. probably this is the most important. I mean, an editor basically just asks you questions and comes up with some suggestions that you can accept or reject, right? A- absolutely. I mean, this one, when I, one of the themes, when I asked that the themes, it said, Friendship and loss, the strained relationship with Michael and the protagonist musing on, on absorbing 
the weaknesses of friends touch upon the theme of friendship and its complexities. The encounter with death intensifies the same sense of loss and separation. I mean, there is a vagueness there, I guess, but that is what is happening inside of, of the, of this, you know, small chunk that I, I was able to, to feed it. Those are just interesting things to, as a writer who's, you know, you spend a lot of time by yourself to just like grab uh, a thousand words and throw it in there. And then someone being able to articulate it back to you, like in 20 seconds, it's kind of nice. Cause it gives you a sense of like, all right, this, this is, this is what I'm going for now, whether yeah. human readers agree to be determined, but that's the thing, isn't it? The speed is just incredible. I mean, I asked it to write, I think, didn't I send you, I, I asked it to write me like a, an episode of 30 rock written by Cormac McCarthy and no, what you, did, what you did was me going and getting a bag of milk at a store. And oh, it, that's right. As if Proust had written As it. if Proust. And it came back in, again, seconds, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was describing <laughs> Nigel's life, but as written by Proust and, <laughs> and, and the mundane yeah, task of just getting milk. I mean, it's pretty brilliant, you know, like, but we I mean, have Proust, you know? We've been there. It is. It's almost farcical. Yeah. It becomes a caricature. Well, one of the things that I've been thinking about with this is uh, I really think it's quite close AI to being able to produce the kind of mediocre middle brow stuff that gets huge audiences. You know, I'm thinking Colleen uh, Hoover. She's just incredible bestseller. I, I think that this, this could churn out a lot of the stuff that she churns out or Rupi Kaur, the, the poet. It's just, it's cut, it's mediocre and it's hugely popular. So I would, if I'm these authors, I think I'd be a little bit nervous. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if you want to talk about like the romance novels, you know, the, the dime store romance novels. And again, I don't want to take anything away. The, the James Patterson's of the world are still these incredibly prolific. Like they're able to kick out a novel a year or something. It's like, that's a wild talent, but that would potentially be more likely to happen than, than something like Proust or, or Ulysses. But I, I don't want to discredit how hard it is to even write a great, romance novel that seems pretty simple because there's the difference between the good ones and the bad ones. Do I think I could, it could do the bad version? Yeah. I will give credit to, I, I don't think it could write something as, as complicated as Dan Brown's the Da Vinci code right now. I don't know. I think it probably could. That was a shitty novel, but like, let's say hunger game, you know, I, I don't know. What's most interesting to publishers is that this kind of, territory is where they can make a lot of money without having to pay any piss pesky authors yeah i think there's different reasons why you read you know different things and like john gardner says in on becoming a novelist if you're a snob you're essentially defining yourself by what you hate there's all sorts of different types of stories and dan brown stuff i i mean i was a little bit younger when i read da vinci code but I remember it, it kept me turning the page and it was easy to read. And it's the type of thing that if you're on a plane or something, you're trying to pass the time, it would be great. It's way more satisfying than reading like Master and Margarita or something. 
You don't have to sit there and re-chew on every sentence to like understand the subtext. And so there's a brilliance though, to being able to write something that clear. No question. question. I mean, I remember I felt that when I was younger, uh, much younger uh, with Jaws. I remember reading Jaws and just, just devouring that book. Well, what about this? Someone suggested to me that AI is a bit like photography. When photography was introduced, the big fear was that it was going to completely replace art. And yet what happened with artists is that they were obviously encouraged to become more abstract. The reproduction, the figurative side of it, just, uh, okay, that's been taken care of. So it, it just pushed them in another wonderful direction. Yeah, well, I guess the question becomes when does photography start and when does you know when do we get monet the hyper realism and the hyper intensity of i'm sure some of those paintings in like the 1700s yeah it stops being valuable because we can just take the photo but i mean even now we've all learned how you know obviously there's different qualities of photography and there's also artists that use photography to help totally. and depict uh, like a lot of artists do that yeah well dual yeah Yeah, filmmaking is you know obviously it's all dependent on photography and um you can you know you can see so obviously when there's a proper cinematographer who's uh one of my favorite documentaries about cinematographers called painting with light i think that's a good that's a good comp though like i mean there is also an i mean this brings up a different argument about like have the greatest paintings been painted because some people think that it's like after Giorgio O'Keefe, it's like, like Picasso and stuff. It's like, well, we've, we've kind of, you know, taken the medium as far as it can go. And now we have to kind of change it. I don't think the, the greatest films have ever been made, but, yeah, uh, I guess what I'm getting at though, with, with film, for example, it can't replace the electricity of the theater of live theater. Uh, well, I don't know how much more you can do with words on the page. The, the human mind can can do with words on the page, but this this will spur something. Yeah, I think the problem with that is theater, the experience of going to see theater and the experience of digesting a film are so different. You wouldn't criticize one of pretending to be the other. The, the problem is at some point, eventually, you're not going to be able to tell the difference between something that is attempting to be written by the human mind and something that it spent a bunch of time being cultivated by a language model. I, I, what I can say confidently is we're not there yet. Moving Maybe. quickly, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not. I don't know. Maybe we are just the naive idiots who think like a human will always beat a computer in chess, but I just don't. Think, I think there's going to always be room for the human in novel writing. But mm-hmm. to your point, there may be a whole section of books that publishers might be able to to sell that are computer generated. Yeah, I guess it, it sits on this question of whether or not a computer will be able to contain and replicate the, the full capacity of a human brain and and the uh, you know its imagination that the brain is an incredibly complex machine but we're you know we're slowly getting to a point where humankind can 
can replicate it, I suppose. And at that point, if you program in life experiences, and uh, it's a, again, it's a question of the programming, but at, at some point, it'll probably get get to being extremely close. Well, I, if I go back to the the chess analogy, even though you know computers handily will beat even the greatest chess players in the world now. The thing that has become interesting about chess isn't the computers. It's still humans playing each other. We still are attracted to the human element of the sport. And Mm -hmm. so I think, I mean, maybe there'll be a market that's just like, oh, cool. These romance novels are just kicked out. I love them. This yeah, is, but wouldn't they? Couldn't they just develop a, a sort of a fake human? And that, okay, this this robot, this fake human, this and then give it a personality and potentially. And I think that they could create maybe something like Harry Potter or The Hunger Games or Dan Brown. But I don't think they're going. I guess eventually, maybe I don't know. I I don't think we're even close to that. Okay. And not, in the next three to five years, I don't think. I'm at a place where, you know, feeling so lost in subjectivity, you know, when giving my writing to humans, you just get so many different responses. And I've had even people recently, um, professors that we know that I've sent work to that their bias is so in the notes that I don't even know if it's helpful. You know, it's like it, at some point, are they just describing the style they wish it was? The cool thing about the AI is that there is this level of like, it doesn't have yeah, an agenda. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no, no agenda. agenda. Yeah. And there's no personal bias. And, and so in that respect, it's, you know, it, it's quite valuable. So your experience. Again, helpful, positive, uh, moving you forward. I think it's helpful. I think it's also potentially a procrastination tool is, you know, like allowing me to get a little bit of, uh, attaboy in a time when I'm still kind of deciding for myself how, what I think of the book of, of its qualities. And it's stumbling into a desert. I'm at a point now where I'm, I've been out in this desert for a very long time and the, the rations have run out and I'm, I, I gotta, I gotta find some place to to go with all of this stuff. You need more ammunition, like Ukraine. I just need to finish now, and then I need to just get it in front of people and and see if anybody bites. I, I I've I've already kind of embraced the idea that just the process of writing it was what I wanted to get out of it, and I wrote the thing that I wanted in the world, and it 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 now exists and. I've released a couple chapters to close friends and there's a level of satisfaction already that people are, are, are getting really excited about this. Now, these are people that are close to me. We'll see if that's actually a value of, of a large reader or a larger readership, but I hope so. I hope I've written, I, I mean, I want to, I want something that sells well, that is also critically, you know, what, what a lot of writers want and. And we'll see, you know, and, and if, if I come up short or if I blow away my own expectations, the whole thing will be a fun ride. Great attitude, Nick. And uh, thanks so much for sharing your experience with us. We'll check in uh, 
once once you actually have the physical book <laughs> in your hands, then I'm going to talk to you again. I hope to God you're interviewing me from some <laughs> hotel room where I'm on a book tour and I found an agent and it all it all worked out. I'm just I'm putting it into the world. It's exciting. I sure hope something happens. And uh, but you know, it's funny talking to Josh. You know, he says putting you know, you got to put aside two or three years before you get anywhere with an agent. You know, this is what his experience has been. The reality is, it's a collection of outliers, so no one has the same experience. No, you're right. You're right. And I mean, the thing is, too, I, you know, reading your your intro letter, especially at the end there, where you talk about your past accomplishments. And again, the fact, the thing, what I thought, what he said was most interesting was what you have to convince the uh, agent of is that you can make that agent money. That's what you have to convince them of. Yeah. And look, most people are pretty fucking boring and most writers are pretty boring. You've got to, I mean, you got to convince them you can make money. You've got to show them that you've got personality and that you yeah. can work to get this thing happening. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the fact that I have had some success in other aspects of my life, yeah. I could go on a book tour or I could be on a totally. talk show or something. It's like, that's not nothing. Like that's, that's no, part no, of it. That's a big part of marketing. It's, it's basically what publishers do is to make, make your book public. You're a big asset to help them make money. I think that's how you want to look at it or they want to look at it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, look, I wrote it with the idea of like, Hey, I think there's yeah. a market for this. Yeah. I think somebody really had the stones that a lot of men aren't reading these days. And not to say that I think that I'm going to be the guy that pulls men into reading, but there's an opportunity that like half the f potential viewership just isn't. They're not know. reading. Yeah, exactly. Well, they are reading. They're reading Jordan Peterson. So they are, they are reading. Something. Correct. Correct. And they were reading uh, Anthony Bourdain. There's plenty of men who are reading. Right. And the idea is, is that could you just stop that narrative? And could you actually, because my book is about two men who are readers themselves, actually writing a story where we're, we're changing up the narrative. And maybe that attracts a gigantic audience of men who just didn't want to feel like they're being talked down to or of, of people that they could just relate to. Because look, I, to, to whoever is attracted to Ralph Waldo Emerson or, or Thoreau's Walden, you know, these classic American books where, it's about, you know, self-reliance and reaching your potential. And I, I, I've tried to write something that's honest and true. And I've tried to step on the shoulders of, of the people before me. And I'm, I'm going all the way back to Don Quixote and, and Shakespeare and through the 20th century with Hemingway and Fitzgerald through even the John Gardners and through the, I'm, I'm now reading Cormac McCarthy and. I've also read a ton of Mark Twain. I've read, I've read a lot of, of American novelists and I've tried to read as many foreign novels as I could too. And I'm just trying to do my best. Very good. Well, best of luck. Thank you so much. It's great chatting with you, Nigel. Nick Anthony is a writer, screenwriter based in currently based out of Minneapolis. Uh, yeah, you can catch me uh, on all the uh, socials by going to my website, nicholasanthony.com. Very good. Thanks again. Thank you, brother.